Welcome to the Stepmomming Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Skiles. Stepmomming is a wild ride, but you don't have to go it alone anymore. I'm here to give you validating insights and powerful shifts to build a stepmom life you love. This is your safe space. Welcome home, my friend. Hello and welcome to the Stepmomming Made Easy podcast. Oh, I am so excited that you are here. Today, I have a very exciting expert with us. Hi, Jenny. Hello. Oh, I'm so excited. I know that picky eating is something that a lot of stepmoms struggle with and we have an expert in the house. I'm so excited. I am thrilled to be here. I can't wait to, you know, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, obviously. So... (laughs) I'm glad to be here. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, well, I want to read your bio for anyone who may not be familiar with you. Give them a little bit of info about you and your background, and then we can dive in. Jenny Friedman, MSRD, is a dietitian who helps families overcome extreme picky eating and pediatric feeding challenges. Known for her playful and approachable style, Jenny is the author of Stories of Extreme Picky Eating, Children with Severe Eating Challenges, and the Solutions That Help Them. Jenny lives in Philadelphia with her family. Awesome. Thank you. So what is your personal and professional experience with picky eaters? I mean, obviously, you're a dietitian, so there's, there's some professional experience there, but do you have any personal experience as well with picky eaters? Yeah. So, you know, I got into this before I had kids, before I was a mom myself. When I was in grad school, this was the stuff that I like to read about, like how to raise kids who eat, things that you could do with little kids to help them eat better. So I entered it from a purely professional standpoint. Way back, I was doing a lot of work in schools with kids and cooking and nutrition. And then I started working with kids with autism, actually, and realized that they had so many barriers to eating. And so my initial focus was helping kids with autism improve their diets or overcome this quote unquote picky eating, but it wasn't just pickiness. And as I was doing that, it, you know, became clear that it wasn't just kids with a diagnosis who struggled to eat. And then obviously, you know, picky eating is such a big, big thing. It's something that most parents experience. And I am a parent now to an almost one-year-old who, I mean, he's a phenomenal eater. There's like nothing you can't put in front of him. And that's very normal, developmentally normal for a 10-month-old. But my almost three-year-old, you know, he ate rice and ice cream for dinner last night. So we can, you know, we can definitely talk about it. (laughs) I love it. I have so many clients who struggle with these things. So You talked about autism being a potential cause. Are there any other causes of what makes kids picky eaters? That's my question. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a big and really important question. I think that is the most important thing for parents to understand is that like this picky eating is developmentally normal. So what's going on in our toddlers. And that's typically when we start to see it. The research says it's about two years old. My experience, I actually started noticing this closer to like 12 months, 18 months, but it has certainly peaked for me more in the toddler years. But there's first of all, a change in nutritional needs and delayed growth. So our babies are growing so, so much, like literally I have a chunker baby, but he's growing like a pound like every couple of weeks. And so they need a lot of food and they're so open. But when they hit that sort of two-year-old mark, they're 
growth slows a lot, so they just don't need to eat as much and it's not as interesting to them. Additionally, we start to see a little bit more of sort of a discerning palate. There might actually be some changes to their palate itself to like their their taste buds could be changing and become a little hypersensitive or more sensitive than they were. The kind of theory behind this is that back in our caveman days, you know, once kids were able to walk, then they were roaming free without the parents and they needed to have some sort of like internal protection mechanism. So they weren't eating all of these poisonous berries and like spoiled food. Mostly our poisonous foods are bitter, like fruits and vegetables. The thought is they have this like biological you know, a mechanism inside of them to say, don't eat those things. So that could be why our kids don't like vegetables. Additionally, our two-year-olds, toddlers, little kids, this is one of the few things they can control. And it's where they start to exercise independence, experiment with saying no. You know, it's, it's hard for them to sit and eat. So they can prefer these sort of easy to eat foods, crackers, bread, pasta, that stuff's easy. And it's d- designed for it to be delicious. So there's all of those things going on that sort of can cause this developmentally normal picky eating. It's very frustrating for you as a parent, but it is typically not risky for of the child. It's not going to impact their growth, their overall nutritional status. I, on the other hand, tend to work with kids who have a little bit more of this, an extreme presentation. And I'm going to put picky eating in quotes. It's it's more of like a severe picky eating. It's actually not picky eating at all. It's some sort of eating challenge. And that can be linked to something like a sensory deficit, a developmental delay, trauma, a medical cause. So it's picky eating 2.0. It's sort of next level. How do we know when we've crossed from picky eating into eating challenges? Yeah. So this is kind of one of the tricky things because there's no like exact definition of picky eating. So a lot of parents, you know, they're after a pediatrician and they're like, I'm worried about my kid. And the doctor's like, yeah, 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 it's normal because literally every single parent is going in there saying the same thing. But I see some differences. And some of those are in how you feel. Like, I think picky eating is annoying. It's frustrating. You know, like my kid, I made a dinner last night that he normally eats. And he was like, sorry, I'm just going to have this white rice. And then I made the decision to give him ice cream because I think, you know, protein, calcium, whatever. That is frustrating. But um, that, you know, that's normal. So we see this sort of fickleness in typical developmentally normal picky eating. Um, Day to day, you know, we don't really know what to expect, but by and large, your kid's still eating a wide variety of foods. Um, You know, they're hitting every food group. Maybe they don't love vegetables, but it's not like they're incapable of eating that. Like my son really does not consistently eat vegetables, but like last week he tried broccoli and sometimes he'll eat peas. You know, it's not like a total off limits. So they're eating from every food group. They don't really have any issues around food. You know, sometimes they're not eating what you want or what you expect, but they're okay to be around food. They can eat out of of the house and at birthday parties, things like that. You never know what to expect. All of that's normal. On the other side, like when it crosses over, maybe they're missing entire food groups. Maybe eating is really stressful for you as the parent. Maybe they can't eat at birthday parties. You can't travel without packing a suitcase full of their foods. Those are some of the big ones, a very limited number of foods and limited variety. Like they're really only eating like 
you know, carbs. They're, they're not eating any true sources of protein. Those are some of the, the kind of major distinguishers. The other thing also is like, if it feels like it's going in the wrong direction and just becoming increasingly stressful for you and or your child, those are usually like good for me. Yeah. I'm making an assumption here, but I'm hoping that if a parent is concerned that they're crossing this bridge into a more of a challenge, they can call you and say, is this something you help me with? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yes. And so I, I think the hard thing about this is when, in, you know, in my experience, parents talk about it with their friends. They talk about it with the pediatrician. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, my kid's really picky too. You know, it's normal. It's just a phase. They'll leave when they're hungry enough. They'll get over it. Have you tried this? Um, and there's a lack of sort of validation, a lack of really understanding. So yes, you can call me, you can, you know, get in touch with me and I get it. You know, this is what I do every day. So I'm happy to help. Awesome. You touched on something in your response about causes of picky eating that I feel like I just have to go back and touch on because it's so big for us as stepmoms and for stepchildren in our dynamic control. All of us feel like we don't have control. Our lives are dictated by a custody schedule or a parenting plan. And for kids of divorce, this control thing is huge. You're talking a lot about the toddler years, but I I have clients with picky eaters that are eight or preteen or, you know, up into these bigger ages. And I think that control thing transcends age when you're in this dynamic. I just want to highlight that because that feels so huge. Yeah. And I, you know, of course, appreciate you bringing that up. A lot of the kids who I work with, they're not toddlers. You know, they're big, big kids, so to speak. They're teenagers. Yes. Like, I think the control aspect evolves, but it's still such a big thing. And honestly, with, with older kids, I started to see it's not only control, but it's also this like whole messy dynamic that sort of happened because it's been years of parents not knowing how to figure it out. I work with some kids who, you know, have two homes and it's, extra tricky then to sort of have like be on the same page and something happens at one place and not the other or one parent makes something a certain way or then food it's not only like for these kids who really struggle to eat it you know there's like this visceral there's something inside of them there's this real barrier there's this other component to food and eating and it is linked back to control and yeah it's so tough and it's just always one of the kind of few places for a kid where they are in the driver's seat. Yeah. You can't make them eat. You can't yeah. make them do that. Well, and that's probably why it's so frustrating for us because we can't control it. Yeah. <laughs> when we feel like it's our job, you know, like, you know, kind of from day one, minute one, it's like your job, you know, as the, the birthing mother, you know, like literally from that second, it's like kind of your responsibility to feed that kid and keep them alive. Um, and it, I think we, as parents never really lose that. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I appreciate your insight into children with two homes and especially this pain point of something happens in one home, but it doesn't carry over into the other. I know growing up with my parents divorced when I was two at my dad's house, we ate like donuts for breakfast and McDonald's for dinner. And at my mom's house, we ate peas. (laughs) There were these differences. Can you still make an impact on your child's picky eating when you only have them a portion of the time? You can. Of course, you totally can. And I think it's hard. You know, I think that 
might require like a kind of a personalized approach or maybe just a shift in perspective on timeline and how long things can take to resolve because it's it's hard when when you're not getting a consistent message but yes you can still make change and i think you as the parent always being consistent with what you're doing regardless of what's happening anywhere else is still very important i think that really speaks volumes for kids they get it that's awesome. I was really hoping that was the answer. Because <laughs> we can't control the other house. We can't dictate what's going to happen there. But we always have part of our child's life, at least most of us, out of our hands, whether they're at school or at grandparents' house. What are some things that we should be doing to encourage them to try new foods or to kind of open their mindset to the idea of new foods? Yeah, lots of things. So I think one of the things you can be doing that's easy is to be yourself, you know, eating kind of the foods that you want them to eat, to be demonstrating this openness, you know, kids, it's not as simple as like, oh, mom eats it, so I'm going to eat it. But they do watch, they listen, you know, that that plays a big role. So that's a relatively easy thing that you can kind of always be doing in the background, eating together. And this is a little deep, but we feel, you know, that urge to control, as we were saying, we want to make it happen. We want to make them feel more open to new foods. And the bottom line is we can't. And often with our kids, I mean, picky eating of all levels, the more that we want it, the more that they sense that we want it, the less they want it, the more they want to do the opposite. And so it's not letting go and leaving all things like up to the universe and waiting for your kid to quote unquote, be ready. A lot of the kids I work with do need support, but you know, kind of stepping back and not attaching a lot of emotion to it, kind of going in with low expectations, focusing on making meals enjoyable. You know, eating should be fun and it shouldn't be this stressful thing. Um, You know, and so kind of keeping that at the, the essence, I think it's really one of the most effective things or powerful things that we can do as parents is try to take like the pressure and the stress outside of mealtimes, outside of eating. And so it's not um, focusing on the food and how much they're eating. Oh, aren't you hungry? Like, you know, last night you can be like, are you kidding? You're not eating the beans. You ate them last time. I made this meal for you. You know, what are you thinking? No, you can't have ice cream. You hardly ate. You know, like that, I, I could have said that. And I don't, it wouldn't have gotten him to eat the beans. But interestingly, as he was getting sprinkles for the ice cream because that's our new thing. He discovered these like fun food picks that I have. My son is three. And so this is a great thing to do with your little, little kids. But he sort of noticed like a toy, a gimmick, brought it over. I started playing with those, like stabbed the avocado. He said, how do you use them? I showed him. And then he wanted to eat because he was using this cool tool. So the other thing that you can do for younger kids is bring in some sort of novelty, sort of have fun with the food, you know, really big forks or like that, you know, just things that are a little silly and out of the ordinary can be fun. There's no stress. There's some fun. The vibe is feeling good and light. Those can start to make your kids a little bit more open. And the other cool thing about that is I didn't ask him to eat. I didn't require him to eat. He found these tongs or these picks. It was like a good way for him to engage in the food in a way that he felt ready and interesting. And it wasn't saying, pick it up and eat it. Give it a lick. Give it a kiss. Take a teeny tiny bite. Instead, we were like approaching it from a fun place and approaching it from a place that he felt comfortable, which was just engaging with it using Mm -hmm. a tool. 
using something fun. And then from there, he was like, oh, now I can, you know, I know it's food. I can eat it, but I did something fun. I kind of found my entry into it. And then, you know, then I felt ready to eat. I love that. And I've followed you on Instagram for years and you share some of your client sessions or some of the things that you've done and you, you have a lot of fun with the food and that makes, makes things less pressure. Yeah, that's what it should be. And I think for a lot of kids, it becomes not fun, whether they have one of these, you know, like a sensory kind of one of these big internal barriers that really makes food uncomfortable, or whether they've just been picky and sort of become a thing. And every night they're like, oh, I'm going to get yelled at tonight. But when it's fun, when it's light, that really changes things. And that's how like, you know, that's how eating is nutrition, it's fuel, it's something that we need. It's, It's also like social, it's fun, it's connection. So yeah. Yeah. Are there any phrases? I think of several from my childhood that we might be using that are damaging or counterproductive to our goal of helping our kids be healthy eaters. I think this kind of is maybe feels different for everybody. What kind of works and doesn't work. Typically, the things that we want to avoid are things that feel pressure. So, I mean, the things that I would definitely say that across the board not to recommend is like, you need to finish your ex before you can whatever. You can't get up from the table before you have this. I hear so many crazy stories from people. They're like, I was allergic to peas and my parents made me sit and finish the peas. And I hate them to this day. This sort of stuff backfires. I think putting like an ultimatum, you have to finish this on the particular food or the amount of food is something we want to avoid. From there, we want to, you know, generally take away sort of your involvement and any sort of sense of like guilt or pressure, you know, oh, I made it just for you. We're telling them what they like. Like I said, you liked it last time. Threats, you need to eat it or you're not going to grow big and strong. Like that's so scary for a little kid. You know, I work so hard to make this for you. You know, oh, your brother eats it. Look what a good job your brother's doing. You know, that sort of comparison. So you can see there's negative undertone in these things. And, and, you know, things were just different when we were growing up. So if you heard these, you know, you probably have some emotional reaction to them and just how we're feeding kids, how we're doing everything is changing. And so if you grew up that way, if you are doing this, that's okay. If your kid, you know, if you're doing this and it's working for you, okay. But those are kind of the things that I would generally say, don't feel good and don't create that environment of like comfort and ease. Yeah. I really appreciate your insight into all this because I can hear these themes of restriction, threats, guilt, things of that nature. And we don't want to put that on our kids, not with food, not with anything. No, not with anything at all. And with food, we really see it backfiring. There's a lot of studies, I'm sure. Anecdotally, a lot of you can relate to this, but like when we make our kids eat something, they don't end up liking it. It doesn't get us what we want in the long run. They actually end up disliking it. They end up not picking it when they're given the option. And so you want your kid to eat the broccoli. You can't make them eat the broccoli because they're never going to want to do it when it's when you're not there. Yeah. I hadn't heard that as like an actual research statistic, but it makes sense. <laughs> I'm kind of reflecting on moments with different kids that I've been around. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, totally see how that works that way. Yeah. 
So, you know, some of us were raised this way with parents who were part of the clean plate club or wouldn't let us get up from the table until we ate all of our peas or, or whatever that was. Do you have any tips for helping us when we are sharing dinners with some of those people who may want to use some of those phrases with their grandkids or, or whatever relative that may be to them? Yeah. It's definitely a trigger point for me. You know, when I, whether people try to take control out of how my, how my kids eat, I heard something, you know, on a Dr. Becky podcast actually. And she, that was helpful for me because this, this is something that I personally struggle with. And she had said, you know, like your kids know the difference between what you do as the parent on the day to day and then the things that they hear elsewhere, you know, from the grandparents, whoever. And that just sort of helped me be like, okay, that that like one off comment isn't going to ruin them forever. You know, day to day, they're having most of their meals with me. So that perspective really helped me personally. A lot of the parents who I work with talk to me about, you know, their, they struggle with their extended family, usually not being on the same page, using some of these phrases, techniques that don't feel good that aren't like aligned with, you know, our plan and the things that we're talking about here. And so if it's a consistent thing and they're in your life a lot, you know, it's worth a conversation, even, you know, blame it on me. Like I'm working with this person or I'm trying this new thing. And she says, if we don't, can't do this, it's really important that we're consistent. So, you know, just saying this is what I'm doing and this is what I don't appreciate. I'm their parent. I know that's hard. I know we're eating together. I don't want anybody talking to them about this, where it's important to me that we respect, you know, little Billy's body signals. So you can certainly have that conversation and sometimes kind of correct it and be like, you know, it's okay. You don't have to eat that if you don't want to. You know, I know, I know grandma said that. I don't care. You know, you do like you decide what is for you and you sort of can override. And I don't know, maybe that's ruffling some feathers, but sometimes it feels important enough to me to intervene in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you giving us permission to do that (laughs) because I'm such a firm believer in boundaries. And I think as a parent, you have to set that example for your kids. It's hard. It's really hard. But if it's important to you and you feel like it's impacting your kid, then it's important, you know? Absolutely. So then the opposite question, are there new phrases that we should start using with our kids? Yeah. You know, I think this is really what feels right to you and what resonates with your kid. But something that I like to use, I call them can phrases, and it's simply, you can, you know, and that just, it's a nice kind of low pressure way to make a suggestion, to show your kids something that they can do, you know, and it can be like, you can take a bite if you want to, you can spit it out, no problem, you can put it over here, we're working on that, my son's like taking bites of things and then putting it back into like the main serving, and I'm like, dude, (laughs) you know, you can just put it here on your plate, you can use your fork, you can get up if you're done, you can eat as much as, you know, you feel right. So I I like using you can. Beyond that, in terms of like a lot of parents feel like, oh, so I feel like they didn't eat enough. How do I talk to them about being hungry? So, you know, I think it's very popular now, and I'm not saying this to discount it, but I just recognize that this is sort of where we are as a like society or culture right now of like, check in with your body. Is your belly feeling full? You know, what does your belly say? What does your body say? And that can be helpful for kids. I think it's kind of abstract for them to understand like, am I full? Did I eat enough? 
we do, you know, for younger kids, when you want to kind of start talking about nutrition, like it's growing food, you know, this is food that keeps you feeling really full. It's food that gives you lots of energy or this food doesn't give you energy or it's really quick energy. We kind of recommend avoiding like good and bad as labels for food these days. So it's a little bit tricky when you're talking about the foods that you know, we think of as maybe falling into that bad category, but they're foods that just don't help your body as much. They taste really good, but those are just a few of my suggestions, but I definitely think it's kind of go with your gut and see what feels right for you and and your family. I love that. I think that's really helpful. I love the you can phrases and giving them that control. I mean, for me, that's what it's going to keep coming back to, but this is this way of empowering them with the choice. The empowerment that's my goal. You know, I want every kid to feel empowered with eating, to feel they're in control, that they have this confidence and this ability with eating. And, you know, they have the ability to make foods even that feel hard or don't feel yummy, that they know how to handle them, potentially make them better, make every eating situation feel comfortable for them. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that mission. So, I'm going to take kind of a hard right turn here because I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. Picky eating is frustrating for parents. You already talked about this pressure that we feel to feed our kids and feed our kids well. Do you have any tips for managing our reaction as the parent when we're frustrated with their eating choices? Yeah, of course. So I think one of the things to sort of preempt that is keeping in mind that no one meal like makes or breaks anything or no single bite of food is, you know, changing anything in the long run. I think we grew up with a lot of like, well, take one more bite, you know, just have one bite of the chicken. It's like, what is that one bite getting you? It's like three calories, you know, and like it's creating more stress than you know, then, then good. So keeping that in mind, I think it's helpful to look at our kids eating over the course of not even an entire day, but maybe a week or several days, because even non kids, even grownups, even whoever teens, like we all have days where we're not that hungry. I wasn't hungry for breakfast today. You know, we have days where we're super, super hungry days when we're not that hungry days when we just want to eat like carbs and snacks all day days when we snack all day long. And I think when we see that in our kids, it's very frustrating, but when that is not the norm, it usually kind of works itself out. So we had that weird dinner with my son last night. He ate a pretty good breakfast this morning, you know, and and let's see, you know, I know he ate a really good lunch yesterday. So it tends to even out. So to preempt some of that frustration, put everything in context, really. Beyond that, you know, I think it's, gosh, whatever helps you feel like helps you manage your stress as, you know, as a parent in the moment, whether it's the deep breaths or like remembering I can't control this. It's not worth the argument stepping back. I really think it's important to think about like where you can make influence, where where you can, you know, there are places that you can't control. You can't control how much is going in their mouth. To some extent, you have a little bit more control of what's going in their mouth, you know, so keep that in mind. And I really think kind of putting things in perspective can be the most helpful. I love this. I love the the perspective shift and focusing where you can control. And my one big takeaway from our conversation is like, I'm going to focus where I can control on 
bringing some fun and levity to meals. I, you know, the giant fork or <laughs> the the little picks that you're talking about. I love this way that I can control it. I can't control what my child eats. However, I can control the mood that I have and the mood that I set around these meals. And that's a way for me to have enough control to not feel as frustrated. Yeah, it it is true. And I think it's really the most important thing that you can do. Like when meals feel good, when your child feels some freedom, when there's not this stress or tension, because that so easily gets into this like negative cycle. You're not feeling good. They're not feeling good. When there's cortisol in their bodies, their appetite's lower. They don't want to eat. So like, it's very easy for this like negative cycle to perpetuate, but this positive cycle is just as important and just as powerful. And that's really what we want. And I think just when eating feels comfortable from kind of that like emotional vibe standpoint and you're creating space for your kid and finding ways to support them instead of, you know, inadvertently making things worse, making things harder for them. That makes all the difference. Yeah. I I really love that. And that would be a perfect place to end if I didn't have one more burning question for you. (laughs) You mentioned those days where kids just want to snack. I have known kids who really just, I've also known adults who really just want to snack all day and don't really opt for a real meal. Is this concerning? Is this something that I should be trying to correct? And if so, do you have any suggestions on how? Yes, I do. It's certainly, I think, frustrating as a parent. It is super common. I think some people just sort of are wired this way and that's how they like to eat kind of these mini meals. And if that's your kid, then I would think about offering snacks that are mini meals instead of just like packages from the pantry, because that can start to be problematic or at least very frustrating for you as the parent. Ideally, my recommendation is that we sort of create these like hunger windows and eating windows. So there's opportunities for you to eat, to fill your belly, and then we need this opportunity for the hunger to build in between. Additionally, like if we're thinking about introducing new foods and really optimizing nutrition, we though that tends to be happening at meals. Meals, you know, where we're sitting down at the table or kind of breakfast, lunch, dinner tend to be where like the most nutritious foods are or new foods are. So we do want our kids showing up to the table hungry because that also, you know, increases the likelihood that they'll eat well, that they'll try new foods and that like the meal goes well. Like a kid who's not hungry does not want to sit at the table. And that is very frustrating for everybody involved. So Ideally, that is kind of the model that you're creating. If that's not what's working for you or feasible for you, then I think really focusing on rethinking what a snack looks like. It can always just look like a mini meal. Everybody's different, but we do typically want to kind of minimize the grazing because also when you're grazing, you're just never super hungry. You're never super full. You're never hungry enough for anything, you know, quote unquote, real and substantial. You just kind of always want like more noshing to happen. And that's a hard cycle to be in also. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate everything you've talked about today. This has been so enlightening. I have an entire page full of notes personally. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I know this has been helpful for anyone who's really in the thick of it. I'm not in the thick of it. And this has been incredibly enlightening to me. 
What is the best way that our audience can get in touch with you, learn more about your business, all the things? Yeah, thank you. And thank you for all of those kind words. I'm glad it was helpful. Um, so I, I would say two places. Um, I am usually pretty active on Instagram. So I am on Instagram at feeding picky eaters. It's one word. And you can find me on my website also with lots of information about my book and my group coaching and my one-on-one coaching. So that's either at feedingpickyeaters.com, which is easy. So same thing or jennyfriedmannutrition.com. Perfect. I will link all of that in the show notes to make it really easy for everyone to get to you. I will also link your book. I was looking it up. I didn't even know you had a book. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, I think it's a great resource for parents, especially if you are in that more extreme, you know, experience. It's like seven families who are going through that extreme picky eating and the solutions that helped them. Some great, like an action guide and activities, some really great examples for you there. That's incredible. Definitely a great resource. I will get that linked for everyone. Thank you so much for being here, Jenny, for sharing everything and for being an incredible resource for frustrated parents with picky eaters or kids who have eating challenges beyond that. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this Stepmomming Made Easy podcast. I will see you right back here next week.